0: So this is the Ruby on Rails podcast, Jeffrey Grossenbach speaking with Ryan Daigle. This is a little bit of promotion of the first author to write a PDF mini book for Peep Code Press. But of course, Ryan Daigle is known in the community for his blog at ryandagle.com, where he outlines and uh, details many of the new features of the Rails code base as they go in, and he's going to talk a little bit about some freelancing that he has started doing out on his own. So good morning.
1: Hey, Jeffrey. How you doing?
0: Doing good. So over a year, you've been blogging about the new features of Rails. What kind of things are you looking forward to, or what do you think the astounding new features of Rails 2.0 coming up now?
1: Well, the, the good thing about Rails 2.0 is that there aren't a lot of astounding features. I guess that's considered good in some uh, some circles and bad in others. But, you know, 2.0 is really um, more of kind of a house-cleaning incremental release. I think the reason it's a 2.0 release is only that there are a few uh, incompatibilities or it's not backwards compatible. Uh, but really it's you know it doesn't have any new paradigms or any big chunks of functionality that are are different from Rails 1.2. Instead, it focuses on, um, you know, some tightening, some cleaning up, some small improvements, uh, some things to address, some real-world issues that uh, that have been seen with the framework. So, uh, you know, some of the things that I like about Rails 2.0, uh, or actually, well, let me say things that I uh, tend to miss when I'm working in Rails, a Rails Edge project versus a Rails 1.2 project um, are... Like the sexy migrations uh, which which was a plug in at one point in time, it's kind of some most of that functionality has been pulled into rails two um that's you know a lot of uh, that syntactic sugar in, in migrations that uh, I tend to miss when i when I don't have it and also one of the really useful things uh, convenient things I found are some of the rake tasks like uh, d b reset and and rollback and things like that uh so uh, you know those are not huge bits of functionality, but they certainly make uh the everyday tasks of a Rails developer uh, much easier. You know, it's just nice to have that out of the box instead of having to include a plugin or uh, write your own Rake task. So those are kind of some of the things that are, are up and coming in Rails
0: 2.0. I was using one of those just the other day. I think it's RakeDB Create, and it will actually go through and build a, you know, make the MySQL or Postgres database matching up to what you have in your database YAML file. I thought that, that was useful.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, instead of, you know, having to go to the command line and do MySQL create DB, you know, and actually do it manually, um, all you do is set up your database.yaml file, as you would um, when you're creating a Rails project anyway, and um, run db create and and boom, it goes in, actually creates the databases for you. So it's stuff like that that, you know, on its own, may sound like a 30-second time saver, but, uh, you know, that's a task that a lot of Rails developers do um, many times uh, over the course of a project. So it, uh, they really do come in handy.
0: So I was surprised that a lot of the new features were already available as plugins. And I haven't been watching it as closely as you have, but things like Foxy features or se- sexy migrations or even the asset uh, uh, splitting so that you can have assets on different servers to speed up the client side download time. Did people submit patches for that, or do you think the core team went out and said, "Hey, this is something really great; let's pull this in"?
1: You know, I'm not um, I'm not sure about sexy migrations. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say that um, the core team um, saw the kind of mimic the functionality of sexy migrations because it's not it's not the full uh, functionality of the, the sexy migrations plugin that made it into core. There are a few differences, and it's. Kind of their own implementation of that functionality. So, so for that plugin, I would say um, I would make a, an educated guess that it's not. Uh, it wasn't a patch um, by the the plugin authors. With Foxy Fixtures, however, I'm pretty sure there was a patch um, by the person who who wrote the Foxy Fixtures fixtures plugin um, that that was eventually accepted. I remember when when I was researching. Um, the Foxy fixtures functionality um, for for the blog and for the Rails 2 PEEP code that I did with you. Um, that I, I ran across several threads on the um, on the Rails list uh, about the patch and, and the, the author was discussing about the implementation details and so forth. So I think that was a direct patch um, to you know to Rails. But you know it's definitely good to see the the involvement and the vibrancy of the Rails community really kind of driving Um, you know, the Rails framework forward and and really contributing some pretty important pieces of functionality to the framework.
0: Now, I went through and I did some statistics here. The very first tag in subversion was 0.1, and that was about 32,000 lines of implementation code. Uh, Went up to about 54,000 for Rails 1.0, a little bit up to 59,000, 1.1. Big jump in 1.2 up to almost 90,000 lines. And then Rails 2 is just a small uh, increase over that to about 94,000 lines of code. That's still a lot of code for a framework, but uh, it seems to be slowing down. My question is, with a lot of these features being plugins, I almost wonder, what about the strategy of like, instead of actually wrapping this stuff into the framework, when you make a new Rails project, it would just drop a bunch of these plugins in your plugin directory. If you want sexy migrations, you leave it in there. If you don't, you delete it and you're you're a couple lines leaner as far as the framework you're running. Do you think that has any weight or is it important for all these things to actually be in the core framework that people can count on having there 100% of the time?
1: you know i think I think there's merit to to your point and i I don't know what the the core team's um strategy is as far as determining what what goes in and what's best left as a plug um I mean it certainly increases the visibility of a functionality or of the of plugin to actually have it within the the framework of course um, you know having it available at your fingertips from just a default install so um I, I would say that you know a lot of plugins that you and I may take for granted you know some some people may not you know, may have not heard of yet so certainly from a publicity standpoint uh, it does help to have features that that the core team deems you know core or central or or essential to to the framework itself to, to be to be there instead of still kept out um, in a plugin and also that I think there's a question of when differences of opinion come into play when the authors of a plugin uh, may want to take the plugin in a different direction than the core team um, you know, might agree with, then, then you may have a split, then what do you do? You know, you, you've already got a, a stable release out there. How do you bring that plug-in kind of under the Rails umbrella? So I think there are a few somewhat sticky issues as far as maintaining plugins versus pulling it into the, the Rails core, um, and I certainly don't have a, a good answer for that as I'm, I am don't have some uh, secret insight into the core teams um, operating or, or how they make decisions.
0: Now one new feature that people are really excited about active resource and as i look at that you know do you feel like have you used that do you feel like it's ready for prime time or is that going to be a new feature that that's going to need a little bit of tweaking as people start to use it more and more in uh, actual projects
1: um i would say it's it's pretty close to prime time um i mean it's as a framework it's it's actually quite simple i mean for the most part all it's doing is Kind of crafting uh, your HTTP calls, your your URIs, and um, parsing the response, parsing an XML response, or actually recently a JSON response as well. So, so the framework's responsibilities are pretty minimal, and you know because of that, it's it's a pretty simple framework, and the implementation is is pretty straightforward. Um, you know, when I first started looking at Active Resource, um, probably I don't know at the beginning of this year. It was definitely very raw, and uh, and I would say would not have been ready for prime time then. But I, I've been working on a few projects, actually two so far, that have used and are using Active Resource, and I, I've been pretty happy with the framework. I mean, it's been easy to um, you know, it's pretty pliable. It's been easy to kind of work with the framework and go around it or dig deeper into it um, when I needed to. It didn't really prohibit me from, from doing anything. So I'd say it's um, it may not be everything you want right out of the box for a a a framework for a you know a client framework, but but it's getting there. And I certainly wouldn't um, let that stop you from trying to use it within within your production system.
0: I think building applications around that kind of a idea is nothing new. We've you know had the RESTful idea, but a lot of these new things like Google Gears. It's the whole idea there is you're building around an API and maybe you're getting JSON back or whatever. And so it seems like changing kind of the mindset of building an application and having the API be a real core part of it is going to be real big in the future?
1: Uh, it, I mean, it definitely is going to be real big in the future. Um, you, although you do have to kind of temper that with the fact that people have been saying for years that, that you know these sort of web services will be will be big in the future. But I think kind of boiling it down to the a very simple and easy consumed consume format um, as, as REST and, you know, the REST, I guess, methodology combined with JSON and XML. It makes it very easy to, to piece together the functionality of an application and, and have some a core service running in the background that feeds, you know, different UIs, different clients. Uh, it definitely it's kind of capitalizing on that that goal that, that people in the industry have had for a long time of, of kind of these distributed services that you can pick and choose from uh, a la carte to, to form your functionality.
0: Well, stepping back here a little bit, a little bit of a meta question about your blog itself. You, I think, had a brilliant idea, which was uh, just reading the Rails changelog and and writing blog articles about that, which solves half the problem with the blogging, which is trying to think of what to blog about. Uh, Where did you get the idea of, of doing that?
1: um you know it's it's been so long since I started it, uh certainly in internet time I mean it's been up for i'd say close to two years um I was blogging before that you know when I was kind of stuck in java land um, and you know i I can't really remember when I had the epiphany of you know hey, this would be a great idea to kind of consume the the s v n uh, change log from rails and put it in somewhat of a readable form um I, I think i I initially did it as you know maybe one or two features that I happened to to see come across the wire, and I thought, you know what I think uh people might like to to see this because I knew not many people were reading the change sets at the time, so I think I put it up there, and I think the the response was pretty good initially, and I think that kind of motivated me to to keep this process going and uh you know at this point now it it's got a, a pretty decent uh, readership base and it it's kind of a um, you know, I feel like the the community kind of holds me accountable for for keeping on top of the latest thing so it 's kind of been a a uh, self motivating cycle at this point
0: It seems a a big thing about that too is that you don 't blog about every single change set that comes down the line. you pick and choose a few different ones, which to me is a huge value on the internet there 's so much information you can subscribe to a ton of r s s feeds and yet you want somebody to come out and kind of give you a summary and, and tell you what the important things are?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's so much uh, coming across the wire that uh, it would be both limiting on my side as far as time goes to try to keep track of, of every single feature. And also, if somebody wanted really to see every, every single feature and, and bug fix and whatnot come across, excuse, excuse me, they could just, um, you know, Pull down the the RSS for for the subversion themselves. So I try to provide kind of two services. One is filter out um, you know some of the noise. Uh, I won't call it noise, but you know some some of the extraneous things, things that may not be central to to a Rails developer, and then also to put it in a um, little more of a explanatory form, so that. Um, it can kind of serve as tutorials for those new features if if you don't really want to sit there and look at the code and try to understand what's going on although for the most part the the commit messages do a, a pretty good job of at least pointing you in the right direction so so yeah, I kind of had to make a, a conscious decision at some point uh, you know on what features to focus and 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 to kind of filter out the, some of the other stuff. Um, you know I don't do you know there's a lot of, of changes that come across for prototype and i I have made a decision not to focus or not to to document prototype changes at all, uh, not because I don't think it's worthy, just just from a, a constraint point of view. Um, so, so it's definitely uh, up to my discretion as far as what get, what gets in and not. And, and sometimes that comes back to bite me. You know, I've had occasions where a pretty important feature has come across. Um, I think the one that the most recent one might have been a change in how the named routes um, were ordered like parent-child path instead of child-parent path, something like that was a recent change in Rails too. And when it when it came across the wire, I, I looked at it and, and thought nothing of it. Um, I don't know if I didn't understand the functionality just by looking at the code or it just totally skipped my mind. But, you know, I, I missed that one, and, and it did a lot of people. So uh, the community was definitely there to let me know that, uh, hey, I missed one, and, and luckily some other people picked it up. So uh, it, it does have its drawbacks having... Uh, Having to choose uh, on my own, but but hopefully for the most part, I, I try to get it right.
0: Yeah, there's a bit of trust there. People expect that if there's something important, then you're gonna gonna talk about it. Well, it does
1: yeah, you... and that's uh, that, that's definitely a lot of responsibility, but it's it's enjoyable for for the most part. I mean, I really really enjoy kind of staying on top of it and, and having people hold me accountable, and, and it kind of pushes me to to really try to stay on top of things.
0: Now, I think you brought up a couple of good openings there for other people if somebody wants to blog about weekly about the change set in prototype or uh for me I could use uh something let's see the change set of let's say rspec or capistrano all those those aren't as frequent as the rails core or even a summary of the mailing list I think people have been doing that off and on uh weekly summaries of different mailing lists
1: yeah I think I think people in general tend to you know if they have a post they're involved in or they've contributed to or see something they're really interested in, I think people do take the initiative to, to pull that out and, and put it on their blog just as almost another, you know, publicity mechanism. Um, so I think people do tend to pick and choose and, and, and write about it, although uh, I, I would agree that, you know, some of these, these bigger frameworks, uh, this this would be a, a valuable service for somebody else to, to step in and try to uh, – you know translate the the code to to readable uh, blog format for for new functionality and new features
0: well, a couple of months ago you've taken that and you've uh, gone off on your own. You're now running a consulting business called y factorial. I love the fact that you put a lot of effort into making a really professional-looking site. As far as I know, you're not a graphic designer, but you hired a great firm, you made a good-looking site, you have a matching blog. Why did you feel like that was an important thing when you were uh, starting out on your own?
1: Well, I'm definitely a a big believer in the aesthetics of a site, and um, I have no innate or learned ability at all to be creative uh, or to be, you know, to design these good sites, Um, but I definitely appreciate them. So, I knew when I started out that it was important to, you know, present um at least a, a decent looking front to to the business. I think it um, it kind of sets the tone for your business, you know, being professional, um, being aware of how you're perceived and you know, taking the time and effort to, to do it right and to, to put a good foot forward. So I think I think the design of a site really kind of sets the tone for your business. So it, that's why it was important to me when I started going out on my own. To to have this site that at least you know I felt proud of and felt confident in, and uh, it's not to say it's it's the best thing ever, but uh, it it accomplishes you know the the design goals that I laid out for for the design company um, that I use, which is a company out of Texas called Unit Interactive, um, and uh, I really enjoyed working with them. They did a great job for me, so I'm glad to, glad that uh, you seem to agree.
0: Now I also had to look at the name, and before I I mixed it up, but. Y factorial sounds a lot like Y Combinator, Paul Graham's uh, venture capital firm. In talking a couple of years ago to 43 Things uh, web- website here in Seattle, they said they intentionally chose a name that was pretty similar to Merlin Mann's 43 folders, or even could be confused with 37 Signals. And they felt like that kind of gave gave them a little leg up on people wanting to find out about it or, or seeing what was happening. Did you intentionally choose that name, or it was just kind of a name that was in your mind and, and it happened to be similar?
1: You know, that, that naming confusion was um, purely unintentional. Um, I, I actually wanted the, the name to be n factorial, because um, from my somewhat limited math background, whenever I remember talking about factorial, it was always n factorial. Letter N instead of Y, but uh, somebody already took N factorial, so I kind of had to go down my list of variable names, and Y factorial was next. So, um, although I have heard of Y Combinator and, and certainly know what they do, and, and am aware of, of their stuff, um, I, can't, I certainly don't think that played a part in the naming. But uh, I have heard of them, but um, it was not intentional. So, uh, so Y Combinator, I'm not out to get you. You can uh, you can
0: rest easy. <laughs> Still, it gives a nice technical name it's hey i'm here to do hardcore coding and and uh that's what i'm about
1: yeah yeah i mean i i def- i wanted uh, a slightly geeky but um not limiting name so i think uh i think it serves the purpose pretty well
0: so when did you decide to go solo what kind of things were factors in that decision um
1: I decided to go solo earlier this year, um, towards the beginning, actually beginning to middle of this year. Uh, It was kind of a a combination of factors. I think it was my, I guess, personal confidence, if you will, in my skills that I was ready for the responsibility of going out on my own and, you know, putting food on the table myself, uh, as well as just. Um, feeling that the the environment, the climate, um, was right in the industry for for freelancing and for Ruby in general, uh, and also for just my desire to be able to focus full time uh, in the Ruby space. So, so those three things kind of came together around the same time, um, and you know I also got married this summer. So I, I started Y Factorial one week after getting married. Wow, I figured if I'm, I'm changing one thing in my life, I might as well change everything. So that's. That kind of is uh, how the timing came about.
0: Now, it seems like Rails developers and even just web developers in general right now have so many options. People could go try to get hired at a firm, a a consulting firm, at a startup. They could find a partner and start a business. They could go freelance. What would you advise to people who are trying to choose between all those things? And uh, why did you choose to go solo instead of maybe one of the other options?
1: Well, I mean, I think going solo um, is, I mean, it's really being an entrepreneur. I mean, it's, you really have to have the passion for starting a business and feeling both the pains and the joys that come with starting a business. You know, if you are just interested in the technology, you know, you just want to work with Ruby and and that's your reason for wanting to go solo or, or try to branch out from where you are now. I would say really think about that because it's it's a big responsibility to be on your own, um, you know, to do your finances, marketing, things like that. That's a lot of responsibility that falls on your shoulders. So, if you just want to play with a certain technology or a certain language, you know, try to find a shop, um, you know, a good shop, one that that lets you have have a little freedom, but a shop that lets you focus on that technology. If, however, you're really interested in um, kind of setting you know setting your own future up and kind of deciding uh, for yourself where your career goes and really having in your mind the idea that you want to create something more than technology. You want to create a business, a culture. Uh, if you have that kind of burning passion, I would say definitely go out on your own um, or you know look, look for somebody who has similar experience and, and similar desires and maybe partner up with them. I think there's, there is some security in having a partner. Uh, you can kind of uh, lean on each other and motivate each other in tough times. Um, so that's kind of a, a little smorgasbord of uh, what I think on that topic.
0: Personally, I have to say it's great that there are so many other people and services out there. This is nothing new, but I personally I have a CPA that I pay to do a lot of my tax and accounting stuff. I have a lawyer that I pay, you know, hourly for for some things. I have a business advisor that I go talk to once or twice a month, and I. Yeah, Yes, I'm. It's just me running the business, but I have all these other people that I can pull from and and strengths, and I don't have to hire full time people, but I can take advantage of their resources and buy a couple time couple hours of their time a month, and and that's been a huge benefit for me.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's great how many you know parts of a business you can outsource and not outsource as into a foreign country, but just out you know local source. I think is what it's called. Um, you know, I, I tend to like to feel the pain of something like, you know, know that it's hard to do QuickBooks or know what a pain it is to do QuickBooks before I farm it out to somebody. That way I know the value I'm getting from that person. But, um, but in general, it is great to have those resources that, you know, can set you straight, you know, can get you set up, can prevent you from making stupid mistakes that first timers would, um, normally, you know, would otherwise make, uh, and then, you know, also completely take that responsibility away from you so you can focus on the core of your business. I mean, it, you're right. It's, it's great to have those resources out there.
0: Well, thanks for the conversation. And uh, for those who haven't already, you can go buy Ryan's book from Peep Code. Only nine bucks less if you buy a subscription. And that's been updated a few times just to cover a few things. And uh, even recently, Obi Fernandez uh, felt like it was a really well written mini book and he's going to be talking about that at the uh Rails conference in Spain coming up uh, at the end of this week.
1: Yeah that's uh, that was cool to hear. I mean I'm I'm all for uh you know the the rail the doctrine getting out there and, and being publicized and uh, uh all the much more better if it's uh, if it's our book too. So
0: go Obi. Well thanks for the conversation. Keep it up. Cool. Thank you Jeffrey